0: Welcome to Coach House Talks. Good morning. welcome if you're guests, uh, lovely to see you. Um, you will find that today I'm going to start with a warning, okay? And the warning is this: This is a difficult passage to preach on. Okay? It's also a difficult passage to listen to as well too. Um, but please stay committed to me. Um, I can see why Andy gave it me and he decided to go and see Josh this weekend. Um, let's put it that way. So, here we go. Right. So, as many of you may know or may not know, what I, what I do for a job means that I, I travel quite a lot, kind of here, there, everywhere, in and out of airports all the time. And I remember going to Japan once. And when I went to Japan, I was walking down a street with a, a friend of mine and I saw a sign and it said fake watches. I was like, okay. You don't get that in this country, do you? You don't get someone saying, oh, fake watches. And so um, I thought, I've got to go in. I've got to go in and have a look. Fake watches. I do like a good watch. And so I went in, and I bought one, surprisingly enough. And after three years or so, uh, it was still working. It's quite impressive for a fake watch. And I showed it to a friend of mine, and he had actually the exact same one but the proper version, right? It was, the, it was it, he'd spent a considerable amount of money on this watch and he looked at it and he had a little magnifying glass and he had a look at this this thing and he was like, you know what, if we muddle these up, I don't think I'd know which one was which. And when I said to him, I said, well, you know, it's a fake one, right? And he was like, you what? I was like, yeah, it's a fake one. This only cost me $5. He's like, what? This one cost me $5,000 and I was like, okay. Slight difference. And, um, and he said, The thing is, if we opened it up, we could tell. If we looked on the inside of the watch, we'd be able to work out which one was the expensive one and which one was the fake one. So today, we have the opportunity to look inside the mind and heart set of false teachers or false prophets. Last week, Mel started us off with 2 Peter 2, verses 1 to 3, and we're going to continue with those very much in mind. So let's begin. We'll start off lighthearted, or we'll try, anyway. So whenever somebody speaks about a company, or speaks for a company, or you see an advert, you expect that that advert is going to be an accurate description of what they're trying to sell. It's not gonna be, they're not going to try and sell you some chocolate, when actually what they're trying to do is sell you a car. And so that is kind of the, the basis of a lot of marketing companies. But there are a few examples where this goes a little bit wrong. Let's have a look at the first one. Years ago, when Nestle decided to market baby food in Africa, they decided they would use the same strategy that they'd used in the UK. You know, baby food has the cute baby on the front, right? And so they thought that this cute little baby would be great to put on the front of their containers in Africa. What Nestle didn't realize at the time was that most people in Africa couldn't read. And actually, most people who made products for people in Africa at that time put on the front of their containers what was inside. I'm not sure we want to be eating babies, right? And so in picture form, this was, is this was what people in Africa thought. Didn't work too well, did it? I mean, you're not going to go into a shop and buy a container of baby, are you? I'll have three, three babies, please, yeah, and uh, hold, hold the mayo. No, it's not like that. And then there was a case of Pepsi. Now, Pepsi was going to market in China, and they wanted to use the slogan, come alive with the Pepsi generation. It was one of those things that they used quite a lot uh, elsewhere, elsewhere in the world. But it didn't translate that way in China. What it actually translated to is, Pepsi will bring your ancestors back from the dead. Yeah, OK, All right. great. So these are innocent mistakes, obviously. You know, babies aren't in jars and your ancestors aren't going to come back from the dead because you drink some fizzy pop. But the point is, it did not, they did not represent what the company was all about. Anyone who claims to speak for God must first represent God correctly, or they will be labeled by Scripture as false prophets. And false prophets' words are like false labels on the front of jars. they send the wrong message and they give the wrong information. So, if you're able, let's open to 2 Peter 2. We're going to start from verse 4. And let's get some headlines from the passage, because Becca's already read it. False, destructive, denied, destruction, evil, shameful, slander, greed, lies, God doesn't spare, hell, gloomy pits, darkness, judgment, wickedness. Welcome to church. (laughs) Exactly. Okay. So, what a heavy passage. But what do we immediately think when we look at this? Well, my first thought is, why is Peter so harsh? When Peter writes it, why is he so harsh? And some actually might say, Peter, don't you know that what's really important in life is that you're sincere? Now, what I would answer that question by saying this. If there was a blind man walking down the road and walking down a path towards a cliff, and he's walking down that path towards a cliff, and then he hears you and he goes, excuse me, which way should I step? Would it be appropriate for you to say, It doesn't really matter what way you step as long as you're sincere. It's not really going to work, is it? It's at the end of a cliff. uh. Or if you went to a doctor who then diagnosed you with a life-ending disease and the doctor says to you, you know what? Just go home, take two aspirin as long as you're sincere. That's not going to work either, is it? And so in that way, when we're giving, we, us, giving people eternal directions, we need to be careful. It doesn't matter how sincere we are. What we say needs to be right. And so Peter, like any good surgeon, diagnoses a problem and is ready to conduct surgery. Now the central thought here is this. God loves you enough to warn you about it. God cares for you enough that he would say to you and I, Working out what's true and what is not is of the highest priority. Think of it this way. God is hanging a beware sign out. Now we've all seen those signs, haven't we? You know, beware of the dog. You open the gate, it's a little chihuahua. And that's basically what God's doing. God's doing this. He's saying, beware of false teachers and false prophets. But these two things are big and nasty. Let me also say this, and this is something that um, got uh, laid in my heart a couple of days ago. Um, just because just because it appears on your Facebook feed, just because I'm going to sprout out, just because it comes from the Christian times or something like that doesn't necessarily mean it's true. And what I would dearly, dearly love you, brothers and sisters, to do is do this. Test it. Test it. Before you repost it, just because the headline looks right, test it. Go in, have a look. Does it feel right? Is it pointing towards God? Is everything right? Before you send it to someone else, before you send an email to somebody else, before you send an Instagram to somebody else, test it. Right? Because we've all done it. People in this room, me included, oh, great headline, post. And actually, when you read it, it's, it's not really very good. So there are three principles, three rules really of dealing with counterfeit teachers and they're simple. They're this, be aware, be aligned and be assured. Be aware of their falsehood, be assured of their fate and also be aligned with the faithful. Now I think because modern man has a hatred for absolute truth, what most people would rather do is simply adopt some generic spirituality So they pick and choose. They come to the Bible sort of like a buffet and they'll go, well, I'll take a little bit of the golden rule, you know, love your neighbor, like that. So I'll have a little bit of that on my plate. And I'll have a little bit of judge, not lest you be judged. Yep, I'll have a little bit of that. And what they're basically saying is, I'll take a small order of Christianity, please, but hold the guilt. I'm on a guilt-free diet these days. And that, for most, is more palatable to believe. And notice something about these people. Not only do they bring in destructive heresies, how do they do it? They do it secretly. They'll come quoting scriptures, they'll say the word Jesus and all the right words, but none of them is going to come with a big beaming smile on your door and go, hey, I'm your local neighborhood false prophet. They're not going to do that. It's not going to be that obvious. So we need to make sure that we've got our eyes open. And they're not going to come that way at all. Think a little bit more like Little Red Riding Hood. That's how they'll come. The big bad wolf dressed up like grandma. They're going to come in secret. But listen, false prophets will use our vocabulary, but not our dictionary. They use the same terms, Jesus, Savior, salvation, salvation, Inspiration, but the meaning of the words they are using are not the meaning of the words that we know from scripture. Same vocabulary, different dictionary. So here's something else we should be aware of they deny Christ. So they deny Christ. Verse 1 says, even denying the Lord who bought them. Now, next time you encounter someone from a different group, don't argue about all the details, about this and that. Just ask them some simple questions tell me about Jesus, who is he, and what do you believe Jesus to be? And Very, very quickly, you'll realize whether it's truth or error, whether they're actually talking the right way. If they deny or proclaim Christ, clearly. And by the way, when it says here they deny the Lord, what it actually means is they contradict the Lord. They say about Jesus what Jesus never really said about himself. So if they're saying that, it's worth a test. So here's the press release. To deny Jesus Christ is to deny his incarnation, his salvation, his resurrection, and his ascension. In a nutshell, Christianity is Jesus Christ. And if he is who he claims to be, then we don't have a Christian faith. In fact, if Jesus is not who he claims to be, then he's guilty of putting the wrong label on the jar. But if he is who he claims to be and others deny that, then they're the ones guilty of putting the wrong label on the jar. Something else to be aware of. They will broaden the way to heaven. Just have a look at verse 2. You see the word many. This tells me that false teachers are going to be popular. Of course they are because they make it easy. They take a narrow way and they broaden it. They make it easy. Now, please don't misunderstand me. It's not a major hard feat to be saved. You just have to trust in Jesus Christ, that he paid the price for our sins. But part of that is the willingness to repent of your sin, to turn from that and turn to Christ. The false teacher will come along and say, yeah, you know, but anytime you make it so narrow in one way, you just alienate so many people. So let me just broaden it a little. It's not for us to do. Jesus himself said, wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many go in by it. So we need to be aware of that. I think, was it Mel who said last week, if it's too good to be true? So, ah, yes. Something else you need to be aware of. They will cover up their motives. In their greed, verse 3, in their greed they will make up clever lies to get hold of your money. They want something from you. They want power, money, status. They'll make merchandise of you. They will exploit you. So no wonder Paul wrote to the Thessalonians and said, Never once did we try to win you with flattery, as you well know. Back in Peter's day, people were using their status to get what they wanted. Did you know there was a book circulated around 100 AD known as the Didache, the Teaching of the Twelve Apostles? given to local churches to help them spot false teachers. I didn't either. Here's a little snippet. Everyone who comes in the name of the Lord is to be welcomed. You must test him, make sure he does not live in idleness, simply in the strength of being a Christian. Unless he agrees to this, he is only trying to exploit Christ. Wowzers. You see, this is the exact same language that Peter uses. So they've always been around these people. They distort the truth. They deny Jesus Christ. They broaden the way and they cover their motives. The other and final thing you ought to know is that they despise authority because authority means accountability. Let's just have a quick look at verse 10. These teachers who were among the people were so arrogant that they did what Michael the archangel wouldn't even do. And that is this they would mock fallen angels even though those fallen angels were still dignitaries nonetheless because michael didn't do it but said he but he said this look the lord will do it not me and i read that and thought about the fact that some people today actually make a living going from church to church binding demons yelling at them right i'm sure we've all seen it on tv normally in America, these people, they go like, now, devil, we bind you and we want you to know. And then they're carrying on this conversation with the devil. Well, actually, what you need to be doing is not talking to the devil about God. You need to be talking to God about the devil. That's where the power is. That's called prayer. That's what we learned from Andy last month. When Satan knocks on the door, ask Jesus to answer it. Not you. Don't go toe to toe. What's the point? We've got, we've got a mighty saviour who is bigger than anything that we will ever come across. Then in verse 12, Peter compares them to wild, greedy animals. They are not like sheep, and yet they act like experts. They speak about things that they don't understand. They despise authority, and apparently they're experts on everything spiritual. Now, another another uh, personal um Be mindful, the internet is full of these kinds of people. They feel so empowered with a nickname and they're behind behind a computer screen trying to um, talk and walk over everybody who has any spiritual authority at all. So just be aware. The second truth here is this, be confident of their destiny. Over and over again throughout this entire text is the fact that these false prophets have a judgment that is severe. Look at verse 1, they will bring sudden destruction on themselves. Verse 3, their destruction will not be delayed. Verse 12, like animals, they will be destroyed. Verse 13, their destruction is their reward. That's where Becca will be talking on next week. The wages of sin is always death. And God will make sure that this payday is coming. Have you ever found an apple with a hole in it? A tiny little hole. Maybe a little brown spot around the hole. hole, And when you look at it and you think, worm. Right? So you put it down. And then you find another one. And this one looks really good. It's beautiful. It's unpenetrated on the outside. And you look at it and you go, that, that's the apple. But sometimes you bite into that apple and there's a worm in it. See, it's a perfect deception. Because worms don't crawl from the outside into an apple. They come from the inside out. I didn't know this. They lay their eggs in the blossom of the flower where the apple comes from. It's already been living inside. It's a perfect deception. So now, when you bite into an apple and you get a horrible brown worm bits in your mouth, what do you do with that bite? Do you swallow it? You don't do it. Spit it out. You get rid of it. And this is what I will do with false teachers. That's what God's saying. They will be eternally spit out. And here's why. There's nothing more offensive to God than deception. There is actually nothing more offensive to God than those who will falsify facts about him. False teachers who will enter the true church will face certain judgment. I told you it was a heavy passage. I'm sorry. But why is God so corrective and why is Peter so descriptive of the punishment? You know why? Because it really does matter what you eat, spiritually speaking. Many people still say you are what you eat. And to be honest, as a kid, I was afraid I'd turn orange if I ate too many carrots. But what you take into your life and listen to and meditate on really is important because it can bring you life or it can destroy you. That's why this language is employed. Now, as is normal for me, we can't have a preach without a story about a farmer, can we? Okay, so that's how it's. All right, fellas. Okay. There once was a farmer who was just sick and tired of the rising cost of oats and he wanted to buy the oats to feed his donkeys. So he decided that he would beat the system and he took out some of the oats and put in sawdust as a filler for his donkeys. He thought, you know what, I'm going to beat the system. I'm clever enough. Donkeys will never know. But by the time his donkeys were satisfied, they were dead. Took a while, but eventually it caught up. And so it is With so called truth. It might just start out really okay and innocuous, but over time, people are going to die. So be aware of their falsehood, be assured of their faith. Here's the third thing I want to close on this be aligned with the faithful. There's another theme here, and it is that out of all this mess that Peter is describing, there are two people he writes about. As wonderful exceptions that should be our examples. Noah and Lot. Now, neither of them were perfect people, as we know. But Noah preached a message, and he happened to be right about it. It was an incredibly narrow message, wasn't it? Can you imagine going to church in Noah's time and hearing Noah's preach? He preached for like 120 years, and no one listened to him, not one. Imagine what people thought. This guy's so narrow. He says there's only one way for us to be saved, and that's this boat. No one listened to him, obviously apart from the the other seven people on the boat. Lot ran out of Sodom because God promised to judge that city and the point of the, this passage here is and the point of these two exceptions that Peter brings out is this: both Noah and Lot escaped the promise judgment, but why? It's hard to talk about the gospel and virtually impossible to understand it without coming to the terms with the word righteousness. In fact, the New Testament uses the term in one form or another in no less than two hundred and twenty-eight times. What then does righteousness mean, and how does the gospel reveal the righteousness of God? The word righteous goes back to its original meaning, moving in a straight line, righteous, rightwise means in the straight or right way. But what is the right way? In our society, people commonly say that everyone must determine what is right for themselves. Hmm. However, Scripture offers a different standard. Indeed, the ultimate standard of righteousness is God himself. God's character reveals what is absolutely right. He is the measure of moral right and wrong. He is also the source of right living. It's important to understand that righteousness involves more than just determining whether or not one has lived up to the perfect standard that God set. The fact is, no one has except one, Jesus. So in a legal sense, all of us stand guilty before God. We are all unrighteous, we have all sinned, we've all literally missed the mark. So verse 9. Sums it up. So you see, the Lord knows how to rescue godly people from their trials, even while keeping the wicked under punishment until the day of final judgment. Verse 9 shows us there's a theological pattern of how God judges. That God rescues the godly before he ruins the ungodly. When wrath comes from him directly, he rescues the godly first. He let those eight people get lifted up above the judgment on earth by that boat. And I believe he will do the same before he unleashes the great tribulation period on the earth, an event that we call the rapture. And that's his pattern. So, you would be pleased to know I'm coming into land. Here's two lingering thoughts. Number one, God loves you enough to give you the warning. He loves you enough to tell you this truth. Don't go and buy a fake watch. I saw the sign, I got a fair enough warning, I did it anyway, I'm responsible for the money that I laid out on that watch. Just be thankful that God hangs out the sign, false prophets, fake prophet, that's God's love. The second truth is this, God wants us to find faithful people as examples that we can emulate. Now Lot is one of the two set out in this passage So it shows us God doesn't always set the bar so high. Thank you, Lord. Because Lot wasn't in a great place, or a particularly great man. But here he's called righteous. Noah built an ark. Lot ran out of Sodom, and they are glad they did, because they knew that when God made a promise, he was going to act. Do you remember in school, I used to have it a, a red a book called Record of Achievement. This was a permanent record of how well you had done at school. Also, how many days you'd skived. Big brownie point here, mine was zero. My mum and dad will love that when I say that later. But this stands as a permanent record of what I'd done at school. You know, we all have a permanent record when it comes to our sin. But the greatest truth of all, though there is a permanent record, is that through God's mercy, it can be overwritten with the permanent blood-stained ink of Jesus Christ, where he will write over all of our transgressions, forgiven, cleansed. It's not that God ignores what we've done, but he chooses to love and forgive in spite of what we've done. So, what really is it that I want you to take away from today? Well, it's this. God cares for you enough that he'll hang a warning sign out saying discerning what is true and what is not is of the utmost importance. Number two, if it doesn't point to God, don't listen. And finally, try and keep on the straight and the righteous road because that is where God wants us to be. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and at www.coachhousechurch.org.